So let's do something that doesn't always happen in the Christian church. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Little joke there, thank you. Yes, I'm getting some thumbs down in here. That was, yes, thank you. Thank you. Though it's true, that was a true story. So as we look at this Mark text, and if you've got it in front of you, that's helpful. First thing to know is that it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, right there, one of the things that we don't understand is that saying that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee to someone who is from Judea, who is from Jerusalem and south, or who who grew up there, that's like saying to a Nebraskan, in those days, Jesus came from Des Moines of Iowa, right? Or, or we often pick on other states, right? So it could be like, oh, Fred or Mary came from Beckley of West Virginia. Or to certain people here in Virginia, you know, there came a wahoo from wherever those wahoos come from. Right? So this is not just a benign statement. Like oftentimes I think we read the scripture and we go, oh, Jesus came from Nazareth. Oh, that's where he's from. Well, there's a connotation to this. Jesus is not necessarily from the southern tribe, at least from where he lives. Now, there's a whole other, you know, how he gets connected to all of that, as you read in Matthew. But, but where he lives and where he comes from, that's why people will say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because it's in the northern part. And the northern tribes were sort of out of favor. The southern tribes were the ones who were supposed to still be in the covenant. There's a lot of history here that we don't understand. And so Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee, and it says, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. More, more history, more things that we don't necessarily understand, especially as Mark talks about it. John the baptizer is the son of a priest. He's in the priestly line. His father serves in the temple in Jerusalem. That is John's lineage. That's where John is supposed to be. So he's already broken tradition. He's already broken what the line is supposed to be by going out into the wilderness and calling people to this baptism of what we know from the other gospels as this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin He's calling them to the River Jordan to do this away from the temple, away from the priests, because it's an indictment of what the structure and the power is. It is an affront, really. John the Baptizer doing this at the River Jordan really is an affront to the powers that be. It is almost saying to them, you, what you're doing is not effective. It is not calling the people back into the covenant. It is not making them turn their hearts back toward God. I'm going to do something else. God's calling me to do something else. And we, of course, believe, and as we read the scripture, we come to at least begin to think that Jesus is the new Elijah. Because Elijah was supposed to, the prophet was supposed to return to pave the way for the Messiah. And so we come 
to see. And so in Mark, again, if you read this, this opening sequence in the other Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, which take from Mark, there's much, there, it's much more robust. Mark is very much like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And so it's very quick and there isn't much detail, but it's super rich because you, you've got to understand or you can come to understand these things that are coming up underneath of here. Remember now, the Jordan River is the river that the people of Israel come to. They come to the Jordan River and God says, nah, we didn't do it right. We're not gonna, I'm not going to let you cross in the promised land. You've got to go back and, and wander for 40 years. Then they come back to the Jordan River 40 years later. And then this is where they cross into the promised land. This is what we might call an in-between kind of space. It it metaphorically has this in-between nature to it. It's the passage from one place to another. When we talk about in-between spaces in terms of our spiritual lives or in terms of the holy, we often talk about liminal space. This space in between. It's almost like the threshold, like to use more of an earthly sort of concrete thing. It's like your front door, the threshold of your front door is the liminal space between outside and inside. It may not be holy, maybe it is, but it is a liminal space. It's an in-between space. You're passing from one thing to another and you're sort of in between. And so the Jordan is that kind of space. So, So now Jesus comes... And he comes and he is baptized in the water. And there's, there's not much made of this here. But there's a lot of ink spilled and a lot of talk spilled about, well, why does Jesus, why does Jesus come to be baptized? I mean, what is he repenting for? We believe that he knew no sin. So why does he come to be baptized? What's interesting here, again, is in the Greek, There's a difference between the people are being baptized in the Jordan. Jesus is being baptized into the Jordan River. It's this funky little prepositional change that people make a lot of that in a sense, and what a lot of the writers would would say is that Jesus is baptized into the story of the Jordan and what it represents. And that Jesus then, and especially as we hear Jesus' story, even in, in just in the Gospel of Mark here, in this very first, it very much mirrors, in a sense, the story of Israel. Jesus comes to the Jordan, he's baptized, and then he is sent, as I love how it says here, the, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. But before that, Jesus, Jesus saw the heavens torn apart. And I think I preached about this earlier this year. This word, I think it's called schizo, is, is the word that's used here. It is literally a ripping apart. And this is God's doing. God is ripping apart the heavens. They would have understood the heavens as this barrier between the earth and, and where God is, right? So there's, God rips apart this barrier between humans and God, and, and the dove comes down. The only other time that this is used powerfully is when Jesus dies on the cross. And what happens, biblical scholars? 
The curtain in the temple which separates the people from the Holy of Holies, which was this tremendously intricate woven fabric, very heavy, was, it says it was ripped apart, schizo. And so when you begin to see the entire story of Jesus, you you begin to connect these things up. That, again, in some sense, we can look symbolically that in Jesus, the veil between us and God is ripped apart. He is, in a sense, the liminal space between us and God the Father. That's kind of cool. This nobody from Nazareth. And then this voice, the spirit descends like a dove. And of course, when the spirit moves, things get created, things get changed. Things, things are sustained in a way from God that are different. So the spirit comes descending like a dove and this voice comes from heaven. And we don't know, I mean, it gets captured here, but we don't know if anybody else hears this voice. But we know that it's directed to Jesus. You are my son, the beloved one. With you, I am well pleased. This very much indicates this, this connection between God the Father and God the Son. And the Spirit immediately drives him out into the wilderness. So it's, it's, it's just interesting. Like, so here he is. Jesus comes from where he'd grown up. And he's coming now, and there's this transition, right? He's beginning to come, and we know that he's going to his ministry. His baptism, his baptism as the beloved one, is only going to go one place. Or at least potentially, only going to go one place, and that is the way of the cross, at least as we know it from looking back through it. You're, you're my beloved, and immediately he's driven out in the wilderness, He's now out like the Israelites were. And again, this 40 days of Lent is based on what we think of as, you know, the 40 days in the wilderness, the 40 years of the Israelites being in the wilderness. This is a lot of this is metaphorical language. A long time is what it often means. But it says he was in the wilderness 40 days. He was tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now, in, in Matthew and Luke, you get much more detail about what some of that might mean. In those other scriptures, you, you come to find that the angels don't come to wait on him until after Satan's done with him. That he's in the wilderness, and he's fasting, and he's hungry, he's famished, he's tired. And it's not that the angels are there waiting on him during that time, but that Satan comes and tempts him. And we believe that this, in many ways, this wilderness time is a time when his identity is truly forged. That there is a sense, at least as you read the other scriptures, that Jesus chooses the kind of Messiah he's going to be. That in those other scriptures, he declares that you don't test God. I'm not going to use magic in order to sustain things. I'm not looking to rule over things in an earthly sense. He, in a sense, chooses the way of the cross. Or it's just other people would say that's not theologically correct. That he already knows who he is and where he's going. We can have lots of debates on that. 
But if he's fully human and fully divine, we know that there are different times where he struggles with the path. At Gethsemane, he also says, if this cup could but pass from me. It's a very human sort of speech that he has there. And so he's in the wilderness 40 days, but then after the wilderness, it's like everything coalesces and then John is arrested. So this is the other part of it. It's like there are not good things that happen as part of our way of faith, as part of when we follow, when we choose things. John chose to follow this particular path that he was on, the path of Elijah, and to call the people to this repentance. And then he's arrested because he's calling out the powers that be And he's arrested, and so then Jesus comes now, but he goes back north. He comes to Galilee, and he's proclaiming the good news of God, and he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn around. Turn toward God. Or it might be more appropriate to say, be turned toward God. Be turned toward God. And believe in the good news. Well, what is the good news? That's the question for our time, isn't it? What are we to believe? What time is being fulfilled? Where is the kingdom? As I said on Wednesday, it feels like we've been in the wilderness for maybe at least a year as we've dealt with the coronavirus and the restrictions and losses of jobs and all of the things that have gone along with this, being feeling like we're sequestered in our homes, away from other people, feeling disconnected and angry perhaps, frustrated, anxious. We feel like we've been in the wilderness. What time is fulfilled? What is the kingdom that has come near? What are we to repent of and what are we to believe in? Those are the questions of the wilderness. Those are the questions of Lent. And all of those questions, I would challenge you to think this way. All of those questions are answered in the one whom we call Jesus the Christ. And so as God meets us in this wilderness, I invite you in this season of Lent to reflect deeply on how Jesus fulfills the time, how Jesus shows us the kingdom, how Jesus calls us to repent, and how Jesus is our good news. Amen.